Good morning. Welcome to Planet Chaos. I am your host, Brandon Chaos. I have a very special guest coming up later on in the show. Uh, Jonathan Blackshire is going to be joining me. Uh, He's got a new solo record coming out, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Hopefully going to talk about a few other things. Uh, I've known uh, Jonathan for several years. Uh, Actually, right before I moved to Florida, a little over three years ago, I met him. uh, I booked a show for uh, the band I was in at the time, Sailor's Widow. It would have been like our first show. Of course, at the time, I wasn't planning on moving to Florida. Uh, So it would have been like our first show, but then, of course, the band broke up. I made the decision to move to Florida. And uh, I ended up filling in for bass uh, for Fig Blots and Chylum. And we ended up playing that show with with Jonathan's band, Caterpillar Head. So that was kind of how I met him. Uh, very talented musician and uh, very excited to have him on the show today. So uh, we'll be back in a minute with Jonathan Blackshire. Stay tuned. Check out our new merch store. You can grab yourself a t-shirt, hoodie, stickers, pillows, and more. You can also get Brandon's book, Bedtime Stories, there as well. That is PlanetChaosRadio.com. I got a very special guest tonight. It's uh, Jonathan Blackshire. Hey, Hello, everyone. My mom does say I'm very special. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? Uh, not too bad. It's uh, It's been a while. It's been quite a while. I remember uh, when we first met, I think I was still in Caterpillar Head. Yep. And you were playing based again temporarily with a band i can't remember the band's name uh fig blots and chylum i was filling in yes yes that was it yeah yeah that was was a good uh, show too yeah that was like a a week before i moved to florida actually i know i know it was i was like ah what a cool guy and like oh he's gone yeah well (laughs) Well, i'm back that's it man I came back and then to have you back as soon as i came back we get hit with a fucking pandemic (laughs) <laughs> man that's uh that's kind of what this is all about actually that's uh we're we're talking about my album uh today a little bit and uh the album isn't necessarily about the pandemic but it's uh it's kind of like about everything we've been going through you know in the okay. pandemic a lot of that 
the stuff. I sorry, I don't mean to just jump right into it. No, you know? no, that's fine. Uh, I mean, you're here because uh, you you want to promote this new album you got coming out. It's your first solo album, right? Uh, no, actually, it's not. Now I've done plenty of solo albums before, but this is the first one that I've really given like the full treatment to. You know, like recorded a full on band uh, with it. Though when I say full-on band it's me playing all the instruments yeah and uh you know recording uh program drum tracks and whatnot okay so yeah i have um uh i roughly four or five albums before this depending on you know which site you look at and what what you count as an album or not yeah you know so but again this is this is the one this is the first one that i feel like i've put um you know the full treatment on like i've given the songs the um attention and and um work that they needed to to become something that i hope everyone's going to want to listen to and you know um really uh put on their uh, regular playlist and whatnot yeah so, so uh when i met you you were playing with uh with caterpillar head as we mentioned before yeah um now that band had a bit of a jam band, stoner metal sort of vibe. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a bit of that in there. So I kind of figured I, I that's, that's, that's what you were about. That was like your your whole thing. But come to find <laughs> out, you're actually all over the place with, oh, with your influences. Oh, that's a great way to describe me, man. That is perfect. And, and, and partially in like my musical taste, partially in the instruments I play, you know, in the types of bands that I like to get into. I mean, I've been in stuff like in a Graham Parsons cover band at one point, you know, just uh, just because I like getting into situations, you know, expanding my comfort level. I mean, that band taught me a lot about the fundamentals of playing bass, you know, and stuff like that, which, you know, led to me having enough confidence to play bass and sing in Caterpillar Head, you know, so. But, I mean, you're not wrong. There's a bit of like stoner rock in everything I do. Right. You know, because I, uh, you know, I, I kind of became like a huge fish fan um, back in 1996 or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of my first big concert. And of course, there were um, party favors there. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so, when I was in high school, I had a bunch of bunch of friends that were into fish, like hardcore into right. fish. And yeah, like you, you got to listen to them. They're terrible, aren't they? No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, I, I, I listen to them and I'm like, ah, I don't get it. And they're like, well, yeah. in order to appreciate Fish, you got to go back and listen to The Grateful Dead. So I went back and listened to The Grateful Dead. And I'm like, I still don't get it. Maybe. And they're like, yeah. you got to go to a concert. So <laughs> I went to a concert. You still don't get it? <laughs> I went to, yeah. I, it, it it might just it might have been Grateful Dead. It was after Jerry Garcia died. I don't know if they were still the Grateful okay. Dead at that point, but it was the guy from Grateful like Dead. Like yeah. further and other stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to the the concert and I think they played for like four hours. The whole time I was just waiting for the second song to start. <laughs> That's what it felt like you know, to me. I almost felt that way about the recent Dead and Company concert, but I really enjoyed it. Um, did they mention you have to be on acid? Because that might have been the thing. Yeah, I tried I that too. It didn't work. <laughs> you did yeah. try that. It still I mean, didn't there, work. Huh? There, there's some, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of jam bands that I could get into. But, yeah. you know, it's like with everything else I listen to, it 
in order for me to enjoy it, it kind of has to have a pop vibe to it. So, like, yeah, I, I, I enjoy Dave Matthews Band, you know, yeah. more so listening to their records than than going to see them live. Because again, live performance, live, it's like, okay, I'm just waiting for the second song to start, you know. <laughs> but you know, I enjoy their <laughs> so, hits. So uh, Dave, he he, kind of keeps his jams a little tighter. Yeah, you know, like if you're at a Fish concert, you're gonna hear these jams that are just wild and crazy, and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you're not even sure if a new song started, like you said. You know, and things just kind of mix together. Um, you know, and all these bands, all these jam bands, they're just doing a rock and roll version of jazz. Yeah. And either you, you like jazz or you don't. And, and jazz is just like improv and craziness. You know, sometimes it's just noise. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's pop tunes, too, though. So, I mean, you'll hear that at a dead show. They'll play their, their hits. They'll play Sugar Magnolia. You know, Fish will play like free. A lot of people know that too, yeah. right? You know, so you know, it's it's all just part of that. And certainly um, for me, if we even go further back than Fish, you know, I I remember being somewhere in my teens. I don't know if it was like thirteen or sixteen or what, but I remember there was this um, public radio jazz station back where I lived in Washington D.C. And honestly, I'd never really heard music like this before. Like, of course, I'd heard jazz in movies or, you know, in commercials or whatever. But, like, I turned on this radio station, you know, as I was going to sleep. And, you know, it just, it brought me to this place, this kind of, like, ethereal place of of, in my mind. And, you know, I think that, in general, kind of changed my outlook on music. And then, of course, seeing Fish live... And losing my friends, and you know, uh, getting lost and wandering around the stadium. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, that that changed uh, me musically as well. But you know, ultimately, what you end up with me is, yeah, very eclectic sound. And if you listen to this latest album, which is called Life Interrupted, uh, the first single of which is What You Doing, and that's coming out um, this Wednesday, um, November twenty. Fourth. Okay. So that was a big, big plug there. But so you know, so I was hold on a second. The life, the no, album life interrupted. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's about the pandemic. Yeah. So you obviously, you, you um, obviously feel like our lives have been interrupted by this. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, and, you know, I've been made... searching for the perfect way to describe it, but that, there it is, right there. I don't know why I never <laughs> thought of that, but yeah, that's perfect. I'm glad I've encapsulated it. I hope that these songs do too, because they speak a lot about kind of the emotional turmoil we've been going through as a part of this. Um, But to be fair, I'm not 100% this clever, right? When I first um, started working on the album, which is probably um, maybe one and a half years ago, just when I started conceptualizing it, right? Yeah. Um, I just was calling it Songs Interrupted. And part of that was because maybe two or three of these are older songs that I've been working on, you know, going back as far as Caterpillar had, but just never had time to really do anything with them. So um, I eventually changed it over to working on the pan- pan- on the pandemic uh, when I was playing the songs. And my daughter is just really into it. She's fantastic. She does um, visual art of her own, but she was listening to me play. And, and I'd explained what some of the songs were about, you know, like what you do doing, the one that's coming out on Wednesday. Um, 
it's about uh, like seeing somebody struggle through something, whether it's like addiction or, you know, a, a habit that they have that's, you know, destructive and hurtful and watching them try to hide it and watching them, you know, try to, um, you know, keep doing it and keep it from you. Um, so, you know, I'm telling her about, you know, the different songs and what they mean. And, um, she's like, Hey dad, these are kind of like the seven stages of grief. And, and I was like, I thought there were only five, but you know, the kids nowadays, they know like, oh, yeah. all this new stuff that we don't know. So, but the, there are a seven and another model and it, it's kind of like, it includes more of the recovery steps from it as well. Okay. So, but, but yeah, so that's the kind of thing that that the album speaks to you know like because a lot of people through this know people who have succumbed to drug addiction who have succumbed to like you know um those kinds of personal struggles and many of us have had to watch people that we've you know um that we love um you know crumble under these things and and felt powerless to help them with it you know so in, in one way the song itself is is kind of um, you know, a, a message of hope to somebody who's stuck in that kind of cycle. Yeah. But as well, it, it's also acknowledging the pain that we're all going through in that. Sorry. Again, that's a little deep for the beginning of the show. I don't know if yeah, I should have gotten right. that. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, when it comes to inspiration for songwriting, you take that from, from real life, real things that you've experienced? Yeah, it, it hasn't always been that way. But um, I've had some very good mentors. Um, I was in the kind of in the Cleveland music scene for quite a while before I moved to Youngstown, um, and that's well over a decade ago now at this point. Um, but I, I used to have a dear friend of mine, uh, Jim Snively from Cleveland, who um, gave me a lot of advice about songwriting, and, and not just him. Some of my other peers in the scene encouraged me to try and draw from real life situations yeah. and to draw from experiences around me. And, and, you know, I mean, that's advice we all know about, right? Right. You know, that you write about what you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, too often, you know, we just, I think too often people just write about their raw feelings that they have. Like I feel this way. I'm so hurt. I'm this, I'm that. That's not always so relatable, you know, and, yeah. and what I want to do when I craft a song is I want to, write something and try to make it as universal as possible, you know, so that somebody hears it and, and it can move them, you know, ultimately when you listen to this album, even though most of the songs are upbeat, I want you to cry your ass off. You know, I want you to like, I want you to be moved by it. I want you to hear a song and I want one of them to punch you in the freaking gut, you know, and like for you to really experience it and feel what it's trying to put across to you. You know, because there, there is a lot of loss in it. There's a lot of like, um, you know, helplessness. There's a lot of uh, love ending. You know, um, and this is all stuff that people have experienced because of the pandemic. You yeah, know? a lot of people found themselves, you know, stuck in their house with their uh, significant other. You know, with nowhere else to go. And yeah, I, you know, divorces went through the roof. <laughs> you know, people uh, broke up relationships. So yeah. thankfully, yeah. my so- marriage is still together. <laughs> So when when the pandemic first hit, uh, you know, at least as as far as like in the states goes, uh, it was March yeah. of last year. Uh, yeah, right. Ohio's governor Mike DeWine decides to shut everything down. What what's going through your head at that point? 
Is it like, um, okay, it's going to be a couple weeks and then we're going to get oh, rid of no. this and, you know, yeah. our lives get back to normal? What was going you through know, your mind? I, maybe I was hopeful that would happen, but I actually, I, I kind of keep my ear to the ground with things like this. I, I watch news sources from across the globe, you know, so, um, and I also talk to a lot of folks who are who are actual health professionals, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I'll watch like the latest pandemic or whatever coming through the latest outbreak SARS or whatever. And when I started seeing reports about this and this was, you know, it's not just news. I mean, I was seeing social media posts from friends I have overseas. Yeah. And this was as early as late January, early February. And I started seeing what people were saying about this and how severe it was. And I was seeing that Wuhan was shut down, you know, like yeah. China gets hit by this stuff all the time, you know. So I was thinking, oh, this is serious. You yeah. know, this is going to be a lot bigger than anything we've experienced before. I, I, I had no idea when when we did the first shutdown that we were going to be stuck in this like, you know, almost two years later. Yeah. But um. I knew that it was going to be massive and that it was not going to be no big deal, you know? So, you know, I, I, I know we've lived through other pandemics that yeah. maybe hit overseas worse than they hit here. Sure. You know, so I was kind of hopeful. Yeah, I was yeah. hopeful that, you know, it was going to, you know, kind of blow over. It wasn't going to hit us that, that yeah. bad, but yeah, you know, I forgot who was in charge at that time, and <laughs> you, know, you know, um he watched a lot of it. Sure, and and I don't think that's necessarily because he wasn't capable of handling it. I think it's because he chose to downplay, it yeah, and he chose to to ignore some warnings, yeah, and and there are reasons you would do that, right? You know, because you don't want to cause a panic or whatever. But th but that's also the other reason when we started to go into lockdown. I, I knew it was going to be bigger than what some people were saying. Yeah. Because all the things they were saying we should have already been doing, we weren't even close to doing. Mm -hmm. You know? So, you know, I'm just kind of watching the alarms going off, and I'm seeing what's happening here. I'm like, we're screwed. You know, like, at the very least, this is going to roll over us here. Like, I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I was like, it's going to hit here, and it's going to be bad. And we're going to see what it looks like but i mean look back then none of us knew anything about this we didn't know how it was going to affect people i mean it could have been like the worst you know disaster movie we've ever seen like you know outbreak or something like that yeah or you know it, it could have been like you said another sars or something like that and it could be gone in a month or two like mm -hmm. but the thing was nobody knew and too many people were acting like they knew like, ah, no big deal. It's like well, the flu, still doing you know, that. whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, the, you can't help um, yeah. some people who have those kinds of opinions, you know. So, so yeah. Here we are, though, almost two years later. Uh, yeah. Some things are kind of going back to normal. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, I've been saying for a while some of it was premature. Um I think, I, I like dropping that, the yeah. mask mandates, I think was was premature because sure. you know, within a month of of getting rid of the mask mandates, the you know the numbers went back to the roof. 
they skyrocketed. <laughs> but but people who are anti-mask don't believe the numbers either. Yeah, you know, I mean, course. it's like there's no winning here. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like over probably 750,000 people have died at this point. I haven't looked at the numbers recently. It's somewhere around there. It's, right it's, it's getting it. close to 800,000 right now. And that's just in the U.S. Yeah. But but even that, 750,000 people literally have died from this thing. And you got people like, ah, the numbers are fake. You know, yeah. and, and, and they're like saying, like, all this is made up. Like, like there's this conspiracy where people are just checking off the COVID box, you know, so they can get their COVID money at the hospitals. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but the, the, the derangement you have to exist in to believe that's true, that a nationwide conspiracy is happening. And it's not just nationwide, it's worldwide. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and, and then you have, you know, these idiots like, like fucking Aaron Rodgers. Someone, you know, people look up to, you know, yeah. he's a big sports figure. People look up to the guy and he's, you know, taking ivermectin and going to Joe Rogan for medical advice. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, another one is Antonio Brown, another sports figure. People look up to him. I don't know so much anymore now that he's, you know, gone off the deep end. But, you know, he's going right. around flashing, right. a, you know, a, a fake vaccination card. Right. And, you know. Trying to get give other people the hookup on these fake vaccine cards. You know, honestly, I mean, when it comes down to all that, I just feel like these people are weak, incredibly weak. They like you just can't get a shot. You can't <laughs> yeah. wear a piece of fabric over your face, but you're gonna try like a horse tranquilizer or whatever this thing is. Horse dewormer. You know, a yeah. Horse dewormer. Yeah. You know. Because you're afraid of vaccines, like you're a weak, pathetic person. Yeah, that you're living in so much fear, you can't just man up and you know. I know that's not a popular term. This cowboy up is what they say. Yeah, but you know, and just go get a shot. A shot that's no different from a flu shot, by the way. Yeah, if you bother to educate yourself, you know. But it, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into that. People have their own reasons for not getting vaccines in general, but you know, just to like. To, to on the one hand say, oh, these new vaccines are unsafe, but I'm going to try this completely untested dewormer <laughs> yeah. thing. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody who is like doing this stuff is operating from a place of logic or sanity. You know, it's it, they're operating from this. You know, it's kind of like an oppositional defiance disorder kind yeah. of thing. Like they're just acting out because they don't want to listen to authority. Trust me, I don't want to listen to authority either. Like that's the last thing I want to do. For real. But like, you know, yep. I also listen to science, you know, and I'm not just going to like disregard what clearly is working. Clearly, if you look at what's going on with the numbers with vaccinations and the people who are hospitalized yep. and, you know, the people who are getting sick from vaccines, which is like next to nobody, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, I, I put off getting the vaccine, not because I was against it or anything, but because, you know, I wanted to see what happened to those who got vaccinated sure. You know, sure, I went, perfectly reasonable. you know, everybody that Absolutely. I knew that took it, I, I made note of which vaccine they got, what their side what effects were. After, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. you know, in August, I finally got my first dose. In September, I got my second. Nice. But, you know, the, the mask mandate was lifted in what, June? Yeah. Yeah. I, st yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, continued yeah. To, to wear a mask. In fact, I'm fully vaccinated, still wearing a mask. I still wear a mask too, depending on where I go, you know, and I'm probably going to get uh, my booster as well now that it's available. And to be honest with you, once I get my booster, I'll probably stop wearing a mask altogether. 
just because it, at that point, it, there really does have to be some point where you're just like, all right, you know, I've, I've been vaccinated. At some point, I have to get exposed to this thing because it's not going away. Yeah. You know, and, and so in addition to my vaccinated immunity, I need to be exposed to the virus and variants as well. You know, who knows? Maybe that's already happened, too. You know, and, yeah. you know, because I'm vaccinated, I didn't even know. Or well, um, I could even be one of those people who just doesn't get symptoms, you know. And then, you so, know, I, you know, since being fully vaccinated, I've had close contact with two people who, who have had right. it. And, you know, I. I'm obviously fine. Uh, you know, my children who are unvaccinated, who are around me all the time, were fine too. So I did, obviously didn't nice. get it and pass it on to anybody else. You can't get it and pass it on. Yeah. I mean, there's then, cases of that, but yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, I, uh, you know, about two weeks ago, uh, had a friend and, and former uh, bandmate over for a visit. Uh, and later on, they, uh, you know, like the next day, they say, oh, I was at my sister's on Sunday, and she just tested positive for COVID. Right. Yeah. So then this person ended up going and, and getting a test just to be on the safe side, and they were fine. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, obviously vaccines are working. At least I, I have experiences here, you know, right. with somebody who, who had close contact, you know, and then had close contact myself. So obviously the vaccines are working. You know, you've got the naysayers yeah, it, that are running around saying, "Oh, it's the people who are vaccinated that are getting it and spreading it." Right. Right. Yeah, they, they, I, they try to come up with every excuse that they can. Like none of this is based in reality. But but the other thing that I think um, is harmful is that you know people somehow expect that the vaccines are just gonna one hundred percent prevent everything. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, "Oh, well, you can still get it if you're vaccinated. Why even bother?" Yeah, because you're not gonna die yeah. if you get vaccinated and you and you catch it, you know. Or at least you're like very, very, very unlikely to, you know. Or even to be hospitalized, you know. Yeah. And trust me, I know plenty of people now who have had COVID, uh, were not vaccinated, and have the have the long hauler symptoms now. Too. Yeah, I know plenty a, of people. That's yeah. a legit thing, man. And like, like I've got people three months, six months out, some even more who are just, were not back to normal. They could not walk normally without getting winded. You yeah. know, they, they couldn't do their, I know uh, somebody who I work with, they couldn't even like fix their dinner, you know, because they were so uh, knocked out by this thing, you know, for a month afterwards in that case. I, I know somebody you know? that had it in June of last year and they still don't have their sense of smell and taste back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so it's no joke, you know, I, yeah. but but what I am done with is I'm done with policing people, you know, like it, it was a big deal. It still is a big deal. But but at this point, like all of the first year, it's not because we were hiding and we're scared of the virus and it's not because we're afraid to live or whatever nonsense people were saying that we're on the other side. We were trying to slow shit down so that they could come out with a vaccine that was the end goal you know and we did that and then like you know we got the vaccine we're like oh hold up let's not go crazy yet because numbers are going back up let's you know yeah deal this out a little bit you know so so like we're now at the point where like almost everybody can get vaccinated i know what my personal choices are and it, frankly at this point if you're not going to get the vaccine then that's just you that's on you you know you're 
everybody else has had the chance to get it now if they want. So if you're going to be a dumbass, you know, and walk around and spread it around everybody around you, you know, other people at least have the chance to be protected from your idiocy yeah. at this point. You know what I'm saying? So that's fine. I That's what I mean. I'm not going to go around and get pissed off if I see somebody's not vaccinated or somebody's having a party and they're not checking yeah. vaccine cards or like it was important in the beginning that we get, we make sure everybody, you know, is, is especially at concerts and whatever we're checking vaccine cards. But what I'm trying to say is that's the back to normal. The back to normal is eventually going to be, all right, well, you made your choice. And COVID's still here. That's never going away. But we're done policing people. We're done, you know, taking names. Because, oh, my God. When well, people you know, start talking about it, it's like the Holocaust when they're, like, taking your car. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's just the ignorance that people come up with associated to this, you know. No, you've got, I just lost, uh, like, half half the people that were going to listen to my album, right? That's all right. <laughs> uh, but you, you have... Maybe I gave uh, some bits. You have music venues and, you know, the biggest promoters in the country, uh, you know, now requiring either, you know, vaccine card or, yeah. you know, a negative test. Uh, but then you've got, you know, these knuckleheads like, uh, who's that country singer? Uh, Travis Tritt. Right. Uh, and, right. And Ted Nugent, who are refusing to play <laughs> venues that have these mandates. Yeah, but, but come on, who cares what Ted Nugent's got to say? Like, everybody I, knows he's our crazy yeah, vampire. Like, I, I don't give a shit what Ted Nugent says. A lot of people right. don't. But, right. uh, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> the guy sells out venues. Well, And people true. listen to what he says. You know, and they can all gather together and not get vaccinated <laughs> and not wear their masks, and you know, send out the population for it. Now, would you would you play a venue that up. that didn't have some sort of a mandate? Um, yes, I think I would. You At would. this point, I think I would, um, because again, well, first of all, I'm not playing any shows anytime soon, and and part of the reason for that is it, it's manifold. First of all. Because one, I've been trying to stay out of the way of gigging musicians who need the space, yeah. you know, and they need the income and they need, you know, they need the, the gig. So uh, for one, I'm, I'm kind of just not scheduling um, excessive gigs, you know, um, frivolous gigs, I guess is what I mean. Um, but two, uh, I, I'm finishing working on this album because it's not finished yet. I still have two more songs that I'm recording on it. So I kind of need to get through all that. And then if I'm playing shows, I'm probably going to be doing stuff over the summer. I'm going to be looking for festivals. I'm going to be tying into that kind of a circuit. And, and yeah, so I'll probably be playing gigs that are outdoors to begin with, yeah. you know, where you're already fairly safe. You know, and again, like we're talking, we'll be two years into it. The vaccine will have been available at that point for over a year, you know, a year and a half almost. Um, everybody will have been able to get a booster shot at that point. Look, uh, what I'm saying is I don't fault venues that over this past summer wanted to open back up, wanted to give people a concert experience, but also, oh, shocking, they wanted to do it safely. Yeah. And they didn't want to infect you know, tens of thousands of people, yeah. you know, to have a concert. So, and look, I went to Dead & Company, right? And that was a blossom. And yeah, you showed your vaccine card or you went to a tent just down like 10 feet away and they gave you a rapid. 
And that was it. That was it's, it. They weren't taking anybody's readings from anybody. They're like, either show us you're vaccinated or we'll test you real quick. Yeah. And if you got COVID, you're not coming in. Like, yeah. you know, like, like the things people will say to like, I'm being oppressed. <laughs> like, well, it's, it's like nobody wants to host a super spreader event. Except, of right, course, for the former right. president. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, same here, though. Like, I've done a lot of work w- with the local community here in Youngstown. And, you know, we normally, um, our neighborhood group, will do stuff like a yearly Easter egg hunt. Or, you know, even I used to manage the Wick Park concerts. Yeah. You know, in, uh, and this year, I still felt it was too soon because of that exact reason. I don't want to be responsible for getting other people sick. That's the only reason I've ever cared about this pandemic. I don't care about getting COVID. I'm young. I'm pretty healthy. You know, I hope I'd be fine with it, but I would not want to be responsible for getting somebody else sick. Yeah. And, and I don't know how anybody else is going to handle it. You Nobody knows. You could think you're very healthy and then yeah. end up in the hospital. There's teenagers who have died from this. There's you know young children who have died from this. So yeah. that that's the thing. It's what has been the most disappointing thing to me is how this whole thing has revealed how many people just don't give a shit about anybody but themselves. You know, yeah, didn't care anything. It's it's terrible. It's terrible, and it's coming from people who like to act so self righteous, like they do care about others like they do you know like i don't know it's very frustrating to me because you know all i cared about the entire time from day one was is everybody okay are people getting enough food because you know people are out of work are are people you know able to to get their necessities you know i mean what i was worried about was checking in on everybody else yeah you know and and so many other people were like I've got to wear a mask all day at work. I mean, like, ah, you know, a tiny piece of fabric on your face, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's I'm not sorry, that I could rant about this. Yeah. It's not, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah. first of all, I've been waiting to be able to wear a mask in public my entire life. All right. Like, <laughs> sorry to make light of it, but you yeah. know, I mean, like, you know, you get to walk around looking like a ninja for like, you know, eight hours of a day. That's awesome. Well, you, know? And, you know, you have countries, mainly in Asia, that that's a right. part of their everyday life during cold and flu it's season. It's their culture. Yeah. It's their culture. And, and it's because it they're considerate of, of other people. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. You know, I was, and, I was telling I, my wife recently, like, I think I'm going to do this every year for cold and flu season. Like, we haven't gotten sick I, since this thing started. I know, I, I'm having that conversation a lot with people, and it makes sense. I mean, why not? At the very least, if you're having some symptoms, why wouldn't yeah, you wear a mask? Exactly. You know, just to keep from spreading it around other people. And and it is such a great point. Last year, I didn't get a cold, didn't get the flu, didn't get nothing, yeah. you know? So, yeah, why not? Why not do this simple little thing to help others? It's not about you. It's not about how healthy you are. It's not about your choice, your rights. Like, just well, care you know, about America's somebody a very, other than yourself. America's a very it's, me, me, me society, you know? Yeah, yeah, clearly. You know, uh, and that's fine. Like, I just, I try not to focus on, on that so much because, honestly, I spent oh, many years just being upset with how selfish and self-centered people are. And, and honestly, it's, it's not... It's not productive 
for me to rant about this. It's not productive for me to to confront people about this. What I feel is more productive, and that is what I'm focusing on right now, is like I said, trying to write universal experiences, trying to write songs that actually, you know, grab people. And I do feel that there is like a a power in music that can cross ideological lines that can cross you know political lines or whatever the hell that means you know um and it can experience is something that's universal like drug addiction doesn't affect only liberals or only conservatives or only you know whatever division you want to make amongst people yeah and so i feel like focusing on just showing people why they should be compassionate, why they should give a shit about others, and why that actually is good for you and will make you feel better in the long run. To me, that feels like the better pursuit right now anyways. I mean, maybe I'm just naive and, you know, I'm, I'm chasing rainbows and lollipops here, but, well, you know. You, you've said that the, the pandemic is what influenced this album. Yeah. So, right. you know, the... The way I look at it is you probably sat down and, and wrote an album that sort of touches on all of the emotions that people could have possibly felt going through this. Would yeah, you say that's and, pretty and accurate? Not, just like, not like an intellectual exercise either. Like I was listening to the stories of people around me and, and then also you know, equating it to the experiences I'm having. So that's like the right what you know is like my perspective of it. But then incorporating, you know, what I am seeing other people going through, what I'm seeing them suffering through. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it, it, it's beneficial to, to sit now. I mean, this was a traumatizing experience, and I don't think enough people are talking about that and, and, and really acknowledging that collectively as, as a world – we just went through a an, and are still going through a a two year long trauma, you know, and and a lot of us are experiencing the after effects of that trauma now, and and may yeah. not even know, you know, um, so having an outlet through songs, you know, through music, something that describes your experience lets you kind of feel it and then lets you release it you know whether it's through crying or just you know really focusing on it you know um i mean that's healing that's therapeutic and and it also can let you let go of the experience and let you move on from it so in a way that's also what this album is doing for me it's letting me take the last two years and kind of let go of it as well you know, by taking all of those experiences, putting them out there, putting them into words and in, into melodies, you know. Um, I mean, quite honestly, and I'm, I'm not trying to, like, I don't know, brag or sound weird when I say this, but, like, almost every song on this album has made me cry at some point, you know. And that's because I'm... I'm well, obviously, I'm I mean, it's coming from, from your heart, your soul, of course. Exactly. If it doesn't touch you emotionally, then you might as well start from scratch again, you know. Then I won't touch anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Though there, there's one song on it uh, that I literally almost makes me cry every time, and and it's really kind of like uh, it, it's I don't want to say it's frustrating, but it's like I'd like to get through the song, 
without crying. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've got to, I got to like work into it. I've got to play it a couple times, get the tears out, and then I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to do this. You know, for real. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, you're, you're not originally from Young Sounds. You brought up earlier. No. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, where were you born at? I know you've lived all over the place, right? I have, yeah. I, I was born in um, Virginia. The, the name is escaping me of the town because I didn't actually live there. It was uh, Fort Belvoir. Okay. Um, my dad was in the Army, so I was a military brat. And we moved around a lot in the very uh, first part of my life. Um, <clears throat> first, we moved across the states as he was stationed at you know different bases uh, stateside. Uh, and then um, he got an assignment um, over in Turkey. And right after um, there had been an armed revolution in Turkey, uh, and I think that's around 1983, I think is about what yeah, that sounds was. about right. And there were like armed guards on the street and stuff like that. But I, I don't really remember that in, in as much as like it being a threat or it being strange. It just was like the way it was, you know. So I, I think he was working with NATO at the time. You know, I mean, the details are kind of foggy to me because it was so long ago. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, that kind of an experience definitely shaped me and, and gave me a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people. You know, more to the point that I also uh, never really felt anchored or attached to any particular place. Because, yeah. again, we moved so much prior to that. And once we finally came back home from Turkey, we, we were uh, stable for a little while. Like, we lived in Virginia, I'd, I'd say for maybe 10 years, northern Virginia. Okay. And that was so, near Washington, D.C., near the Pentagon. So that's where you spent you know? uh, the majority, yeah, the majority of, of my years. years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, high school and, uh, you know, a little bit of elementary school as well. <clears throat> Is that where you got into so, music at? You know, not really. I was just talking about somebody else about this. And, um, you know, I just, music has always been a part of me. And I don't want to sound hokey when I say that, but like, even when I was just a little kid, um, I would constantly sing the songs, you know, in class. Singing was just always a part of of who I was. You know, I remember in uh, it was either kindergarten, yeah, it was kindergarten over in Turkey, and like at the start of the class, they would put these um, little LP records on, little forty fives, I guess, and they're kid songs. And I don't know, like there was one song the girls really liked. It was like about flowers in the fields or something like this. But uh, there was this one song they put on for the boys and it was motorcycle racers. And like, that was like my jam in kindergarten, man. But like, I'd sing along to that, you know, and I'd sing along to like, you know, all the kids songs, Jimmy crack corn, all that kind of weird stuff, you know? Um, so it's always been a thing. I've always sang, I've always been in, you know, choirs. Um, I feel like it's, know, that, it's that way for everybody <laughs> that ends up growing up to be a musician. Like, I remember yeah. me and my brother and our friends when we were kids, like, we would, you know, sit around, we would listen to, you know, our parents' old records, and we would, you know, we would try to, to match the, the Beach Boys or uh, oh, the man. Four Seasons harmonies and Boys. stuff like that, you know? Right, right. So that was kind of, you know, where, where I came from musically. And, of course, you know, I evolved. I'm sure you evolved from that motorcycle song. <laughs> but 
it was a slow evolution. Let me tell you, like, you know, I have, a, if you look at my taste now, I mean, it's like, it's all over the place. You can't, you can't even draw a map. To oh, show, I'm the same uh, way, yeah. And, and I love that. I, I love discovering new music. I'm not always up on the latest pop music, you know, and, and that's just what it is. Uh, the the most I stay up on that is kind of like listening to my son's radio as he's going to sleep, you know, and then I hear uh, whatever's on the radio. But you, for me, I'm not going to lie, and this is kind of embarrassing, like my formation into music is very pop-centric and very like um, – even kind of like boy band centric. Like, do you do you remember there was this show way way back in the eighties called Kids Incorporated? Oh yeah, it was an HBO show, right? And they would sing all the the you know hits of the time, the pop hits. But yeah. it was a bunch of kids doing it. Yeah, kind of like the original was kids it, pop. Wasn't Mario Lopez on that show? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Eventually, he was on that show too. Yeah. So, uh, I. And I was in love with Renee and Stacy on that show. That's all I remember. But um, well, I grew up, you know, you know I mean, watching reruns of the Monkees. That's you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Too. I was like, man, that's you just know? so cool. These dudes live in this house on the beach, and they just play right. music and, and play get into shenanigans. Together. Yeah. Little did you know how contrived the whole thing was. And oh that man, they it's only like that on TV, man. <laughs> I know, right? But, but, you know, like, so my formation or foundation in the music was, like, very much, like, New Kids on the Block. Um, I listened to a lot of Michael Jackson, which I still love to this day. I mean, Michael is still, like, the king to me. I've always been know? a huge fan of pop music. I, you know, a lot of people hate on it, but it definitely has its place. You know, and, like, when I was yeah, in high school, you know, I had the opportunity to either join a new metal band or a boy right, band. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, because yeah, there yeah. was, you know, they, they were both looking for a singer at the time. You know, I, right, I ended up going right. to new metal band because, you know, I didn't want to get laid. <laughs> and it's cooler, you know. I, it was so, fun. I, that's eventually where I went, right? You know, because eventually pop gets uncool. Um, but but like you said, there we'll get back to this. But there is there's a certain art form to pop. Right. Yeah. And if you can write, look, it's what every musician really wants. Like, don't believe anybody when they if they're a musician and they really say they hate pop music, they're full of crap, man, because every single musician wishes they could write a song as catchy as I've got friends in low places. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, I hate that song, but it is so formulaically good. And I fucking hate that song, but I'll sing every word when it comes on. Absolutely yeah. you will. Absolutely you will, because the songwriters did it. Yeah. They came up with an earworm that's just infectious, yeah. you know? And that's what you want no matter what genre you're, you're writing in. But anyways, back to like where I was at, you know, I, I eventually went away from pop because everybody does, because eventually you're a teenage boy or girl or, or whatever you identify as, and, and you want to be cool whatever that means yeah and in, in my time that was like 80s hair metal you know and so i was listening to guns and roses and why are they cool because like they're rebellious because they grow their hair long or they keep their hair short or whatever trend it is they're bucking yeah. you know today but when you really think about it on the surface it's it's all very ridiculous isn't it you know because like you think about the what rock and roll means and what the rock and roll lifestyle means and all that stuff, but nobody really is that. Like yeah. it's all an illusion. It's just it's just fluff. 
it's as much fluff as pop music is. It's just less honest about it, yeah. right? You like even metal, even you know, like death metal, even like you know, all whatever genre you want to look at, even like gangster rap. It's like most the artists that are successful are not that. Like you've got so many rap artists who are graduated, you know, from universities, like with you know several degrees. Um, or who, Drake, who, just, who is a child actor. Right, right, right. Talking about but, starting but, from the bottom. Like, no, you were a child actor. Absolutely, absolutely. So, to me, like, I don't have, I mean, you know, if you look at me, it's obvious. I don't care about image, and yeah. I don't care about uh, all that stuff. You know, like, all I really care about it is the music itself, the feelings it evokes. And I draw that from so many sources, you know. I mean, I'm a huge fan of classical music, but... Again, I'm also a fan of metal. I'm also a fan of rap. Like, I'm not discounting any of these genres when I say it's all fluff. I'm saying don't take any of them seriously. Yeah. Because it's all just music. Like, well, you none know, of it is real. Every trend is cool while it's going on. <laughs> but once it's over, you right. look back and you're like, what the fuck was like, I thinking? Was that, man? Like, I, you know, I yeah, look back yeah. when I was in an emo band with the long black hair and all the, the makeup and you know, the tight jeans, cool. you know, but right, I look right. back at it now and I'm like, Jesus, how much fucking money did I waste on really horrible <laughs> eyeliner? You know, and I just, I've been in too many scenes too, you know, where I just, I've seen people be hypocritical, yeah. you know, about whatever values their scene is supposed to embrace. And, you know, it's like, I, I just wish people would spend less time on like categorizing, you know, what what this song is or what this you know band is or whatever, and just just give a listen to the songs themselves. And like, if you like it, you like it. That's fine. If you don't like it, you know, fine, move on. You know, but I just find it really, um, I don't know. I find it weird when people are just hating on like styles or yeah. you know. Things that people do. I mean, like people love to hate Ed Sheeran, right? I just no, I hear that dude, a lot. He's right? fantastic, right. though. Isn't he though? Like yeah. I and look, I, I'm kind of one of his haters too. But the other day, I heard like this really cool tune that reminded me a lot of like a Tom Petty song. I don't remember the name of it, but it was almost like the same chords, and he's doing the same vocal delivery yeah. of it almost. But it was deep and his lyrics were great you know and it was yeah. like, like it was a nice he, nice song in that he regard, writes a lot you know? of songs for other people too right right yeah. yeah and you know we don't understand that i think as a culture either yeah. how much we've kind of lost that i think but, because back in the day it was understood the performer probably didn't write their songs yeah they had you know a bunch of ghostwriters behind them and you just kind of knew that but now it's like you've got this no i I'm an original songwriter and I only ever write my own stuff and you know, this and that. And it's like, you know, well, what's the big deal if you play somebody else's song, you know? But you know, you, you mentioned Ed Sheeran and you know, that goes back to, you know, not listening to just one style of music and not playing just one style of music. Like he said, Absolutely. you know, his, his biggest musical influences are Bruce Springsteen and Eminem. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, and I would it's, share it's the same, apparent same in his music. You know, he's done mm -hmm. songs that sound like Bruce. He's done songs that sound like Eminem. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that about a writer if they can go all over the map. I mean, 
you know, sometimes I go to places and explore styles and I'm a little embarrassed by, you know, what my take was on it. But, um, but no matter what style I'm trying to get into or emulate, it's not because I'm like trying to imitate it. It's more that like, Oh, I really liked something in this, and I and I'd like to see you know what my take on it can be. Yeah, and and you hear that in this album, um, the styles on it range from like a rock anthem to kind of like electro pop. I've got a straight up like pop rock song on it, um, one that's almost kind of like R and B, one that's more of a folk country song. And, you know, then a couple, like, um, folky tunes at the end. I'm, you know, I'm still trying to figure them out and see what they'll sound like, you know. But but even that doesn't, like, scratch the surface of, you know, the music that I'm into and, and the types of songs that I write, you know. Um, if you listen through, you know, the catalog, the, the albums I have, like, on my band camp, um, you know, I... First of all, they're all acoustic albums up until this point. So, you know, you're just you're hearing me on an acoustic playing different styles and, and maybe it's not apparent um the different styles I'm playing, but in my head, I've always got like this full formulation of like a backing band and ornamentation and and to be honest, man, that stuff never stops and I kind of feel like uh you know, a maniac when yeah. it comes to the music that's always in my head because it it doesn't ever stop. I don't ever stop writing music. I've written like over 130 songs total, you know, and and I continue to write. You know, you know, like they're I, not all good. I can relate to that, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you know, I, I I grew up idolizing guys like you know Brian Wilson and and Paul McCartney Oh for sure 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 yeah. revolutionized So I only recently recording. discovered Brian Wilson. I mean, I always knew about the Beach Boys. Yeah. But like I'm really really into him yeah. lately. <clears throat> but you know, as a musician myself, I'm very limited in my abilities. And so if I, you know, am working on a song and I'm like, "Oh, I'd like to add, you know, xylophone I, I can't play xylophone i don't know anybody yeah that plays that's the rub, man. but i've got it in my head like this is what i want it to sound like yeah yeah you know so if, I, if I, I were to go there. in and record a solo album it would have to you know it would have to be on the level of like phil Spector. yeah or i just don't want to be bothered with it sure sure well you know and, and <laughs> unfortunately like the solution to that is like money like if you've got enough money invested in your project, you can hire the musicians you want and you can get the sound you want. Because, you know, it really begs the question, why did I record an album that's solo and record all the instruments myself? Because I wanted it to come out exactly the way that I had it in my head. And I, because I you can play those albums. instruments too. Well, <laughs> yeah, but but not as good as maybe some other people could have. But you, you can know? at least and, fake and, it, right? Yeah, well, you, you the, the thing is, is, I have learned I've learned some very useful uh, recording tricks this time around. Which, which um, I don't know if I could have made this album before. Now, I don't know if I had the patience or the determination. You know, the the um, the ability to sit and and keep working through it. You know, yeah. Um, it's in the past. You know, if I've recorded something. Uh, even if I went into the studio, I do, you know, one session, 
you know, do a bunch of takes, and however it turned out is how it turned out. And, and that's fine. In a lot of cases, I've gotten really good songs that way. Um, but in, in this case, like each song has taken me at least a month, you know, to record fully. And that's, I'll record one day, um, normally just one track, and then I'll listen for a couple days and just listen and listen. And I'll be like, you know, did that work? That didn't really work. Let me go back and try this instead, you know. So this is the first time I've gone through this process of like being critical of myself, which a lot of people, you know, aren't, aren't, I don't know if they're not capable, but they, it's difficult to do. It's difficult to listen to yourself and objectively go, Oh, that kind of sucked. That was really terrible. I need to like redo that's, that's that or with everything come up right with another though. angle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's yeah. good. If, if you do sit and listen, you're like, oh, that sucks. At least, hopefully, you then get the motivation to go, well, let me try something different. But but I know what you're talking about if you also just kind of go, that sucks, and I don't want to try anymore because I feel oh, that way a lot. See, that's me. Like I'm like, that sucks. Okay, delete. <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah. If I'm going to do something, I need a producer to say, uh, yeah, it sucks, but let's change this, and it might be a little bit better. Let's see if you yeah. like it then. I hear you, know, you man. Because me, and I'm just like the hardest, I'm done. The hardest thing for me, and and honestly, this whole recording process has helped me with this. But the hardest thing for me has um, been getting to the point where I feel like I'm a legitimate musician. You know, to the point where I feel like um, the stuff I make isn't total garbage. You know what I'm saying? Which even saying that right now, I know that's a ridiculous statement because people have told me in the past, oh yeah, that album's good, that song's good, whatever. But I'll go back and listen to it and I'll listen to it through the, you don't have lenses in your ears, but you get what I'm saying. I'll listen to it through the lens of like, oh, well, it's, it doesn't sound like the music I hear on the radio yeah. or it doesn't sound like this or it doesn't sound like that. And it, it's so easy to constantly compare yourself to, to other things and just feel like the art that you're making is not worthwhile. Right. But, you know, ultimately you just, you have to understand, you have to make your art, whatever it is, however sh shitty it is, you have to, you have to do it. You just, you have to do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's complete garbage. It, it's a part of you and you have to get it out of you. You have to let it reside in the real world, you know? So, but trust me, I, I really feel you on that. Just the whole, like, you do something. So let me be specific about this. I'm working on this, the sixth song on the album right now. It's the one that makes me cry all the time. Uh, it's called Chicken Salad. And it's really a stupid song, but it's also, it it's a moving song. It's a powerful song. It, it has a situation in it, which, you know, just, it, it can crumple you in two. And because of that, like it needs such a specific nuance to it. You know, I, I went ahead and I laid down a version of it uh, last week and I was like thinking, nah, I'm going to go for kind of a country sound on this. And, you know, I have a, a big, heavy bass beat, you know, kind of pushing it along, you know, and it'll be like a country anthem. And I did that and I did it really well. Like it sounds good. And I've been listening to it for, you know, five days now. And I'm like, this is this is bullshit. You know, like I took the heart out of it. 
you know so so you know it's i think the important thing is yeah you're gonna think a lot of stuff you do is is terrible but i think it's important not to hit the delete button to keep it around to keep trying at it i mean another specific example I, i can give in relation to this album is on the song that you're going to hear on well your listeners might hear today because i think it's the one i sent you what you doing um but i i played obviously i played everything on that song um this is one of the few songs on the album where i did absolutely everything um there's a couple where like i've had the studio redo the drums for me or, or other stuff like that um so in this case i did everything and i i got to a certain point in the song I wasn't planning on having a guitar solo, but I just, the way it progressed as I was recording it, I was like, it's got to have a guitar solo. It's just, that's what has to happen here. It's like, it's the crescendo of the song. So, you know, I tried playing this guitar solo uh, for one whole session and it was garbage. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't hit it, you know? Yeah. And so I listened to it and I listened to it. And then I listened to other solos, you know, that other people have done. And, you know, and funny enough, thank goodness I was in like a Grateful Dead jam band for the past couple during the pandemic because it it really did help with my like guitar soloing and stuff like that. And, you know, eventually I probably did like 26, maybe 35 takes of this solo when it's all said and done. And hopefully you can't tell, but I eventually ended up splicing together like three different solos, you know, just to get all the yeah. really good elements of everything I did. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I had to really, really work for that one, you know, and, and I mean, I could have thrown any crappy old solo over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have just gone, you know, and done something dumb, but like the solo was there for a reason. It was there to like catapult you into the emotion of the song so you know i had to make sure that it, it hit you right and that i hit it right you know what i'm saying um so i don't know where i was going with all that but. <laughs> well, where'd you record the album at did you right here man record it this is where all the magic happened right here nice. <laughs> i can pan the camera around if you well your listeners can't see so whatever yeah but, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah 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 but right here in this room i'm, I'm talking to you okay so. And all I've got is a, um, I don't want to talk gear because that normally gets people to tune out, but I've got a little USB device um, that I just plug. Typically no more than one instrument in at a time, but sometimes I'll do a rough demo with my acoustic and a microphone at the same time, which is actually the setup I'm going to use to perform for you uh, tonight. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm just recording in on that. I'm recording into a program that... Um, it's called uh, FL Studio. Oh yeah. So and I, I'm very familiar. And I chose that. that I use that yeah, when I, I when I uh, do uh, DJing remixes. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. I I got into FL Studio when it was still called Fruity Loops. Yeah. And uh, every single electronic album I've written, which I wrote under the name of Slackshire, um, used Fruity Loops to generate those songs. So when I was thinking about doing this album, I'm like, you know, I done all this before i've done recordings where i've done everything but the thing is is like i i've never been happy with my drums i think i can program good drums but the only program i've ever been able to do that on is fruit loops so you know i i went and looked up the newest version and 
And what I didn't know at the time was that Fruit Loops or FL Studio, as they call it, had gotten so good that you could now record into it. You could oh, yeah. record audio into it. Right. So, um, so that's been the basis of everything. That's my digital workstation, as they call it, right? So I actually you know, use uh, Adobe Audition. That's what I use. Yeah. Which is it's actually one too. It's the industry uh, standard in, in radio. It really is. Like if you hear yeah. a, a commercial on a radio station, it was recorded with Adobe Audition. But no it's, it's easy. It's user friendly, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and honestly, I'm not a snob about FL Studio. I'm using it more out of convenience, but I'm also super happy with the results and how easy it is to use for me. You know, yeah. Um, but but I'm using it because that's what I was familiar with. I tried a bunch of other stuff. I tried like, uh, again, we're getting into techie stuff, but I tried Reaper. I tried like, uh, um, oh, I know plenty of people Ab- that swear Ableton. by Reaper. Uh, yeah, well, no, I liked Reaper. Yeah, but but I couldn't do drums with it. You know, and and I tried Ableton, and supposedly you can program drums with that. And I couldn't figure it out. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like dumb when it comes to all this stuff. You know, I'm not ashamed to say I'm not a recording engineer. I'm not a studio engineer. Yeah. But I had to learn how to be a lot of that in order to produce this album, you know. Um, but I could only learn so much, right? Like, I'm not a, um, uh, a recording I'm not a producer. So in the yeah. end, I ended up working with seven different studios on all of these songs. Um and and honestly, it's been worth it because every song that I've sent out to whichever studio, when I've gotten it back, it sounded better. Maybe not the first uh, mix they sent me, but by the time we got done with it, it sounded better than than I uh, I was able to do on my own. So you're outsourcing you know? the the mixing and mastering. Mixing and mastering, yeah, okay. exactly. And uh, the, the go ahead. Are 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 the uh producers that are going to be doing the mixing and mastering anybody that, w- that we would know yeah yeah a lot of them are local talent um i wanted to stay local whenever possible and i, I just put out a call to my musician friends or i i you know i looked at um local musicians that i liked and looked at you know the the albums and i said hey i really like the song you did who did that for you you know, and so I got a lot of names that way so, as well. So if I had to guess, I'd say you probably worked with Pete Revere, Josh. Roman. I have not worked with Pete yet. Pete is going to be doing the last song of the album okay. with me, and I'm super excited to work with Pete because he has such. He's incredible. An, he's incredible, and he has such a very in-depth process yeah. for working with a musician. And I have to tell you, just like. If I'm going to give like a word of advice to anybody who wants to do this kind of thing themselves, like if the person you're working with isn't giving you instant feedback and telling you what they want from you and telling you, you know, maybe do this when you record and, you know, giving you specifics, you probably should find somebody else. Yeah. Like if you're just saying, I'm going to send you my stuff and they're like, oh, cool. And I'll get it back to you. Yeah. That's not the person you want, you know? Yeah. And and honestly, the best experiences I've had have been from producers who said, all right, I'm going to work with you, but this is my process. And I'm going to take what you've done. My goal as an artist is to make that better, you yeah. know, make it sound better. And, and that's the experience I've had. Um, so the, the studio I worked with on What You Doing, that's the song coming out, uh, is a rec room recording studio 
And that's uh, Jeremy James. You may or may not yeah. be familiar, but he's a local uh, sound engineer. And honestly, um, my favorite little moment with Jeremy is I, I did send the song over to him. And the first cut I got back from him, like when I sent it out, the drums were really thin, you know, and I hadn't done any processing on stuff or, you know, it just the beat was there. And I got it back and they were so full. The snare was like, you know, I was in an 80s hair band and, you know, like it, it just, it sounded like hot. And I was like, dude, how'd you do that? And he's like, studio magic. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only answer you need. And it was absolutely the only answer yeah. I needed. It was perfect. Um, and he was a great guy to work with. Uh, if you're okay with it, I want to rattle off at the other studios oh, that no, I'm, right I'm working with on the awesome. So, um, on never ending, which is the next single that's going to come out. I worked with, uh, magnetic North studio. That's Chris Keffer out of Cleveland. This guy is incredible. He is absolutely a master worker and he's got, again, a process you know, I, Chris and I, I wouldn't say that we argued, but we even had like debates about how the song would should sound. And and he managed to bring me around and I'm glad he did because the end result was really good. I won't take as much time with everybody else, but I also worked with uh, Peace of Mind Productions. That's Frank Tonker. I love Frank. Uh, he's also a local favorite. Frank's a great guy. Super man. talented too. Not just super talented, he's so friendly, oh, yeah. so positive, and like the entire process of working with him was so fun. I'd send him my latest take, he'd be like, dude, this is so cool. Like, you know, like and we'd just be going back and forth. Uh and he he's such a creative guy too. Like he put stuff into the song that I did not ask for. And I'm so glad that he knew that the song needed this stuff. He's very intuitive know. like that, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just little things. Like, he put, like, a, an echo, um, not an echo, but, like, a delay on some of my vocal parts where I'd, like, say the phrase, and then it would say the phrase again. And, you know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it was just stuff I wouldn't have thought of, but it made it sound so much cooler. So the last studios, I only have three songs that are mixed and mastered done. But I have five that are fully recorded. And uh, the next one, like you said, you would, I'm doing with Peppermint Studios. It's Gary Ramey. Um, Legendary. One more day. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm already super impressed with them, and I haven't gotten anything back yet. But I'm looking forward to working with them. Um, one more day, I'm working with Nexus Sound Studio. They're out of Niles Warren. That's Keith Kelly. Oh, you're working um, with Keith on that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about it, too. Keith seems like a really cool guy. Yeah. So... He's We've got a session. On one, one of the court. best in the area, man. Like I'm awesome. You know, I'm not so trying to make to anybody that. else sound sound bad, but uh, yeah, the yeah, guy's yeah. got an incredible <laughs> ear, and you know, like like Frank, he's very intuitive. So, right, yeah. I can't wait, man. I'm excited. I've seen other stuff that he's working on, and he's he just seems like an exciting guy. That's you know, getting into really cool stuff, yeah. kind of up and coming. So I'm very excited to work with him. Uh, the chicken salad song that I talked about, I'm working with Mind Rocket Studios. That's Josh, Josh Roman. Yeah. Such a cool guy. I love that guy. Uh, I've done, I did one recording with him, or two actually, with Caterpillar Head. And that was like a, a one and done, quick and dirty kind of thing, you yeah. know, where we just came in and did. But even that sounded incredible, you know, what he did with us on, on that kind of a recording. So I'm really looking forward to him. And then, like I said, Dating from the Truth, we're doing with Amprion, which is Pete. And, um, 
I can't wait to work with Pete. I, I'm like, like I'm so glad he's the last song on the album because I, I feel like he's just gonna bring it home. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah. So I mean, you've got like one of the most impressive lists of uh, local oh, producers. producers there. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was not intentional, but I mean, when I asked around, this is the people whose names came up. Yeah. So you know. Honestly, that's the other thing that has differentiated this album. And I'm also in a place now where I, I can kind of afford to do this, but I have never invested in my music before like I have in this. And, you know, there's no question that investment was worth it. There's just yeah. no question at all. And I'm not saying that, you know, every, necessarily everyone needs to, but if you can afford to, if you can afford to spend yeah, I'm talking about a good chunk of change on a recording. You should do it because what you're going to get out of it is something that's going to last you. So you're going to get so much more benefit out of it, Absolutely. even if it's not financial or, you know, whatever, just the quality of what you're going to get. The experience of working with a good producer. I mean, it's invaluable. It's also invaluable. So, um, uh, I'm just, I'm really glad that, that I decided to go down this route and really give these songs the treatment they deserved. And, and that's where it all came from. I had seven songs. Again, my daughter said, hey, this is like the seven stages of, of grief. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And and they deserve to become like fully what I, I, I envisioned them to be, you know? So... So uh, you've got a guitar right there in the background. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give us a little sure something? Do. Yeah, I just got to switch some things on if you're okay with that. You're good, man. Go right ahead. And it's not too much stuff because I already have it ready to go. Um, there might be a little hum, so let me know if, if it is bad. But I think it's light enough that you won't really notice it too much. Okay. Oh, I haven't switched over to that audio source yet, so okay. that's what you're doing. Is there a hum? I don't hear anything. Maybe a tiny hum? All right. <clears throat> okay, but you can hear me just fine through the mic? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, it's not out of the uh, camera anymore, right? Like, you can hear me close. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sweet. All right, well, this is the song I'm working on with um, Pete. And just to give you a little background behind it, um, this is the final stage of grief, right? This is um, hope. You know, this is uh, kind of picking up all the pieces and and continuing on with life. And um, when I wrote this song, this is an older song. I've actually even played this with Caterpillar Head. When I wrote it, I wrote it about, like, the kind of experience that changes you, right? Whether it's, like, a near-death experience, whether it's, like, you know, you had a a meditational experience or maybe you had some kind of mind-altering experience, you know, but coming from that and then being able to take the experience with you, you know, and, and not losing the lessons of it. So that's what this is. It's called Fading from the Truth. Though you say you'll remember 
still feel the way you do? Will you be true to the one you are right now this night? Oh, you've done your pretending. Will we still share a mind? So, uh, when is the official release date for the album? Do you have that yet? Yeah, um, we'll call it official, unofficial, right? Can you still hear me? Yeah. Um, I am planning on releasing it. I'm thinking it's the second Wednesday of March. Okay. Sorry, I'm kind of looking at my release schedule here. Uh, sorry for floundering around on this. No, I should have it. <laughs> um, it's the third Wednesday of March, so it'll be okay. March 16th, I think is what I have slated for it. I, you know, there's possible, it's possible I might have a delay just depending on how these last two tracks go in the studio. And if I do end up delaying it, what I'll do is I'll give another, another single release on March 16th. And then probably do the 
album release on the 13th or 20th of April. So, you know, either way, we're looking March or April when the full album yeah. will be available. So, so uh, and you, you release this album. Uh, what's the next move for you? You're not with Caterpillar Head anymore. You're not playing with the band. Yeah. So what's yeah, the future looking I mean, like after this album comes out? So I obviously I've given a lot of thought to this because getting making an album means you have an attention for something to happen afterwards. And quite honestly, I mean, it just depends, man. It depends on how it's received. It depends on whether or not, you know, people hear it, they listen to it, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going around playing and performing if it's not, you know, something that people are really excited about. Um, I enjoy performing. I'll play gigs just because I like to do them to begin with. Um, that's a good way to push honestly, albums, though. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so, that's the whole reason to, per to perform live is to, you know, get album sales. Oh, up. no. Well, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's a good way to gain exposure. But look, man, I, I've been playing. I don't want to say how long I've been playing, but I've been playing in bands for a long time. I've been doing solo uh, performances for a long time. And for me, it's never gotten me the exposure, you know, and, you know, maybe it's because I'm not good. <laughs> you know, maybe it's uh, just because, you know, it's, it's a tough um, scene to break out into no matter who you are. Like, I don't know. I don't know why people aren't listening to my music already. I've released, like I said, um, four or five albums before this. You know, they're out there. So well, I will tell you this. It's not that uh, you're not good because you are good. <laughs> Thank you, man. I, I mean, appreciate we, we wouldn't be that. where we are right yeah. now <laughs> if that talking like the this. Case, if that right? was, yeah, if you were not good. Right. So I, so I don't know what it is, but what I'm trying to say is like, there's three scenarios I come up with in my head. Right. Um, and, and they're part of what's been giving me anxiety for the past year while I've been doing this. The first scenario is I release it and nothing happens. And that's the scenario I'm most familiar with. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll release it. People will be like, oh, that's cool. I like it or whatever. And they'll give it some listens and then it disappears. Yeah. And we all know that. Like, everybody in the music scene, we all grind our asses off and we play the shows and we promote our music. And We've all played like shows to just our girlfriends before. To empty yeah. rooms, man. Yeah. I have played to so many empty rooms. I've played to full rooms, too. I mean, it's not all one or the other. No, no. Hold but on a second, though. I, I will tell you the weirdest thing, though, okay? Yeah. I, yeah. I remember, uh, you know the band The Used. Um, yeah, okay. They, yeah. they played at, there was a venue in Struthers called The Cellar okay. years ago. I remember that name, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they played a show there. Uh, they had just put out their first album. Nobody really right. knew who they were. Sure. I was there because I was friends with the opening band. And the only people that were there were the opening band and their girlfriends. Yeah. Two weeks later, the lead singer starts dating Kelly Osbourne. Oh, and suddenly shit. he's on OzFest. <laughs> he's on you know well, the, the show, The Osbournes. And they, their album know, goes straight man. to number one two weeks later. <laughs> so many people were like, wait, they played in Struthers? What the fuck? How did I miss that? <laughs> right, right. But, but that's a good point. I mean, look, I, the one thing I know is I know so many talented musicians, you know, whether from the Cleveland scene or whether here in Youngstown. And I know so many people. I'm like, 
why aren't they famous? Yeah. So I never get down on where I'm at because I know there are musicians that are 10 times more talented than I am who still haven't made it, you know? And so yeah. it's not, it's not a function of how talented you are. It is, it is a function of how good you are marketing yourself, how good you are getting yourself out there, you know, and a lot of who, you know, unfortunately, Yeah. but you know, anybody can break through and hit those barriers. So getting back to the scenarios, right? There's the, nothing happens. There's the fantasy scenario, right? Where like you blow up people, like people hear this and like now it's on the radio and like everybody's jamming to this and like, you know, yeah. and the thing is at first that scenario was scary to me, but then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, getting famous isn't scary because like what happens when you get famous, they come in and they whisk you away, right? Yeah. They just, they, whoever, they come get you. They're like, you're famous now. Come on. We're taking you wherever you're going. You're going on all the things. <laughs> Yeah. Where, you know, so that's not scary either. You can just follow along with that. The thing that scares me the most is releasing this album, and some people like it, and it like gives me moderate success. And then I have to navigate that. And that's what you're talking about. What's next? Like if this takes off in a small way, I'm not talking about me getting big, but I get you know more listens than I've ever had before, and I have people who are really giving me good feedback. You're getting invited and, to play bigger local shows. I got to put a band together. I mean, there's no question about it. And, and like, I want to put a good band together. I don't want to just put anybody together. I want to give these songs as good of a treatment live yeah. as I do, you know, give them um, in the studio. Uh, and I know plenty of good musicians that I, I've got my fantasy football league up in my head <laughs> of all the good musicians I would call locally to try and get in this band, you know, well, you know but, I, but I it's was... different. I was talking recently about, you know, maybe starting a project. But it's very specific I I what I want. Post about yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very specific what I want. You know, and I I don't know anybody that would be into doing that. But then I was like, right. well, you know, right. what I want, I could just record that in a studio myself and then play to a backing track and then I'm like so it's just me with an acoustic guitar playing to a backing track with the other instruments. Yeah, like, right, right. It's not much different from karaoke. I might as well just go to karaoke, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a thing to, like, you could probably sound good doing that. Yeah. And, and if, you're, if you're a dynamic enough performer, you could sell that too, right? But there is something about having a group of people on stage with you, you know, reproducing that sound live that that you know yeah. that it knocks people's socks up you know honestly again ultimately what what this kind of stuff comes down to and i hate to say it i'm not jaded or cynical but you know putting a good band together it comes down to money man <laughs> like yeah. if you want some really good players with you they they want to get paid you know because they can because they're so good they can have their pick of any gig they want to have exactly so you you either need to pay good players or or you get people into your project who believe in your music yeah. so much that they're just going to play for free and and even then you would pay them for whatever you got paid for the gigs you know <laughs> but um you know so like that's what's next for me is like just seeing how it goes and if it goes well i I'm already, I've got a list of people I'm going to start calling in December, probably, you know, for, for the festivals that are going to be happening in the summertime. And I've already got, you know, songs I can send these people, you know. So it, it's, it really comes down to that. It, I, I'm going to put some effort into getting out there, into playing 
larger venues that I've played before into in getting in front of lots of people and having them hear this. Um, or I'm going to do nothing, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah. like it just depends, you know, like, and I'm okay with either one. Like if nothing happens, if I release this to silence and like nobody cares, I don't really care either because I have had such an amazing experience making these songs and I even already know what I want to do for my next album. Like I, it's already in my head. You know, I already have, I think seven or eight songs picked out. I'm going for an obnoxious dance style for this next album. Like I am so ready to do this. And like, again, whether or not, you know, I, I end up putting a band together and playing summer festivals and all that, I'm still going to record this next album. So that's just where I'm at. That's the way you know, it should I, be. I, you know, even if, I think so. Even if people aren't listening, just continue making music. You know, I, I know so many older bands that tour. You know, they do these nostalgia circuits. You know, yeah, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. like '90s bands. You know, a lot of them. It's not even close to the original lineup. Right. Just like the singer, right. or or maybe the bass player, but or or maybe just the bass player. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. The, a lot of them will still record. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. Uh, like my, my friends in Sponge, like they just put out a new album. You know, most people haven't heard anything from them in over 25 years, but they're still right. putting out music. Toad Wet Sprocket just put out a new album a couple weeks ago, too. And that's you know? awesome. You yeah. know, I mean, Good as long that. as you have songs to sing, yeah. as long as you have stories to tell, like I mean, just keep making yeah, them. Yeah, nobody's you know, going it's to see. It's not about. Nobody's going to see Toad Wet Sprocket to hear anything off the new record. They're going to hear the hits. Yeah, you know? yeah. But the band enjoys making the music. So Absolutely. And they'll still get a chance to play some of those yeah. new songs. You know what exactly. I'm saying? They'll get a chance to work them in. People will be bored. They'll go get a beer or something, you know, but like they still, they're out there doing it. And I, I you know, that's the important thing. Honestly, my love is performance. I yeah. do love getting out and getting in front of people. But one thing I have to tell you, and, and I know we're going a little long here, but I have to tell you, uh, Caterpillar Head in some ways really broke my heart. And, and not by anything the guys did. I love Tom. I love Evan. They're both incredible guys. Tom, at, at some point, just he ended up getting a physical condition where he could not play guitar anymore. And, and um, you know, Evan, Evan and I did some stuff a little bit afterwards, but we just never could get anything together. So, But my heart and soul is in that band. And, and I loved playing with them. I loved getting out and, you know, doing kind of the little stoner jams that we did and all that stuff. And, you know, just being in front of people playing, I just love all of that. And, and having that band that I loved so much break up for no fault of our own, you know, it just, it's made me so gun shy yeah. about wanting to get together another group of individuals again to go play music and, you know, I want to do it. And I, I just, I need to get over it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I need to get over it. I need to find some people that want to play these songs and want to play them well and, you know, get out there and play shows. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to grind, man. I've just, I've made up my mind that I don't want to, I like playing at Cedars. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to book a show at Cedars just to book a show at Cedars. Yeah. If I'm going to play there or anywhere, I want to make sure People are going to come see it. I want to make sure the show is great. You know, like, so I'm, I'm kind of done with the just, you know, 
oh, you got to go out and just play a bunch of shows. I want to play the right shows. And, and that could be anywhere, but it's anywhere where that's, people are going to come see it. That's the mentality that bands that end up making it have, you know? Right. They're right. like, well, you know, we're not going to play shows just to play shows. Uh, I mean, look at uh, the Vindies. You know, probably yeah, the, yeah, the biggest band yeah. actively playing in this area. How many times Out a year, year do yeah. they play Youngstown? Right. Four. Right. Four times a year. Yes. Right. You know, that's... And why is that? The biggest bands you know I mean? that I've seen come and go in this scene, they, they maybe play Youngstown four to six times a year. But you know, every and, show, and they fucking say... pack the place. Exactly. And, and that's, that's not to say that they, like, made some calculated move at some point. No. I think just it's just after that... a while, you grind and, you know, you're spinning your wheels. And you got you got to get smarter about it. Well, not know? only that, like, I know bands that will, you know... They do what I call the Youngstown tour. Yeah. You know, one weekend they're at Susie's, Cedars, the next Moilo, they're at Cedars, Susie's, the next yeah, 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 yeah. next they're at Westside yeah, Bowl, yeah. and then I've you done know, that tour, man. It's a great tour. Westside, a week later, yeah. they're hitting me up to play at Chippers. You know, yeah. so, that's why Cedars yeah, has their, their rule. Yeah. You know, yeah, Cedars yeah. has that rule. You know, fifty miles for what three weeks before, three weeks after, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Every venue and should. It makes sense that rule. for the band and the venue. Yeah. I mean, like every venue should have that rule, but every band should have that rule. Well, but but honestly, when you're starting out, it's hard to know that. It's hard to understand yeah. it. You know, because you just want to play. You want to get out and you yeah. want to play. You're excited to play. I'm still excited to play. It's just I know that like. You know, I could be getting a lot more out of it, and quite honestly, so could my audience. Yeah. If I'm doing it more, you know, strategically. Yeah. You know? So that's how I'm approaching this one, and it's not any different from how I've approached the album. You know, because a lot of thought went into it ahead of time, and I was like, you know what? I've recorded before. I've done this. I want to do it differently, and I want to do it in a way that hopefully is gonna seriously is going to get on people's Spotify playlists. It's going to get on people's, you know, YouTube playlists, whatever. You know, yeah. I want these songs to be in your circulation and not just something that you listen to a couple of times ago. Oh, that was good. No, I mean, I want yeah. that like in your collection. So, you know, hopefully I did a good enough job to get there this time. Yep. All right. Well, uh, got to wrap this up. Yeah, so, I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> uh, would you like to plug anything before you go? Um, you know, I mean, it's just, we'll say the album again. Um, you can check it out on Spotify. You can check it out on Amazon, uh, Apple. It's on all the major streaming services. Um, I've also got it on YouTube as well. Um, more importantly, check out my Bandcamp. So that's jonathanblackshire.bandcamp.com. Um, and that has every release I've ever done, uh, some which maybe aren't so uh, great quality, <laughs> going way back to like uh, when I recorded in Ireland uh, in my uh, flat living there. But it's uh, very historical and archival. So anyways, check that out. That's the main thing I'm going to plug is check out my Bandcamp. That's where I would prefer you to buy the music from if you're going to buy it at all. Um, and if not, just check out What You Doing, November 24th. It's going to hit every streaming service. You can follow me on Facebook or on Instagram to get updates about the rest of the project. And 
that's enough plugging, right? Sounds too great, much man. I look forward to hearing <laughs> it, though. Awesome, man. I look forward to you being able to listen to it. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show, Jonathan. It was a, Dude, thank you so dude, much for having me. It's chat, been man. so good to catch up with you, yeah. too, man. I, uh, I definitely have missed seeing you around, for sure. Yeah, you too, so, man. All right, 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 well, uh, you take it easy, man. Yeah, you too, bud. Thank you Have a good one. All right. Talk to you. And I will be back in a few minutes, so stay tuned. stickers, pillows, and more. You can also get Brandon's book, Bedtime Stories, there as well. That is planetchaosradio.com. No dick, man. No dick. No dick. How you doing? Good. What's up? Where are you from, man? I'm from Canada. Um, Canada? Yeah, Montreal. Montreal. I I live in Northeast Ohio. Oh, Oh, shit. So... How are you doing with uh, COVID-19? Good. I'm not an idiot. I wear my mask when I go places. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> we keep the kids out. Of- and seriously, like like who, yeah. who, whoever catches is a fucking idiot, honestly, at this point. Yeah. Bro, I was working uh, like uh, two hours ago and the guy just came in with a, how do you call it? Uh, not a, a, a helmet, but, you know, just um, the, the, the face white- shield. Exactly. The clear shield. That but looks no twice mask. as retarded. But no mask. I know. That's he, retarded. The guy was like, bro, I don't need a mask. I'm, I'm wearing that. <laughs> I, that's just so dumb. That's an old person thing, man. I've never seen anyone under the age of 40 wear one of those. Fucking, man. Bro. What do you do? Um, I'm, I am I work at a drug, la- uh, drug shop. Like, oh, uh, a drug store. A like pharmacy, you- yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that sucks because you got all the sick people coming in and out of there. Exactly, man. But I've never been sick uh, for COVID. So yeah, me neither, man. Because you gotta be if if you catch it, you're stupid. Yeah. Basically, if like <laughs> like maybe like last year around this time, okay, couple months in, okay. But anything past like January, February, a year, no, yeah, yeah, no, no. If you caught yeah. it in 2020, then you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you were you were told, <laughs> but nice one. I wanted to go have spaghetti. Well, too bad. Now you're gonna <laughs> fucking die. Way to go. <laughs> too bad, man. Too bad. You're dead. So, what do um, you do at Montreal for fun, bro? Uh, not that much. Um, I'm fucking at at ice cool because 
uh, I'm so dumb. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I can't do shit because of the COVID. Yeah. Is that a guitar in the background there? Uh, yes, it is. You uh, play it? Uh, a little bit, but I, I would have sent you a song, but it's like 11.40 for me right now. So Yeah, me too. We're on East Coast time. No, because I live with my parents and they're oh, like, I see. right, right. I in, feel in, you. Yeah. Yep. So you got a nice setup back there. You got cabinets and the TV. That's a sweet yep. room you got there. Bro, look at this. LEDs. Yep. They change colors and shit. Uh, not that one, but I got like on my rooftop. So that's cool. But yeah. <laughs> so hey, it's been fun talking to you. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go. No problem. Man. Have a good one. Hey, have a good night. Thanks, buddy. Yep. <laughs> that's a cool guy. I just talked to a cool guy for like two. Ah, oh, there's Nick. <laughs> I just ruined it. <laughs> yeah, there's Nick. Uh, ah, uh, uh, nope. <laughs> uh. And now, back to Planet Chaos. It is just about time to wrap things up. Uh, in case you didn't know, you can listen to the show on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, uh, Audible, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. Uh, make sure you check out the website. It's planetchaosradio.com uh, with... Uh, winter coming out we have plenty of hoodies for sale on the website uh but you pretty much get a little bit of everything there uh you can email the show at any time it's planetchaosradio at gmail.com you can find us on instagram and youtube it's at planetchaosradio twitter is at planetchaos underscore uh you can find me on instagram twitter and snapchat it is at brandon underscore chaos uh, Tumblr, it's at Brandon Chaos, all one word. TikTok is at official Brandon Chaos. Once again, all one word. Uh, we're going to end the show a little bit differently this week. Uh, Jonathan Blackshire sent me the uh, first single off of his upcoming album that we were discussing earlier. Uh, so instead of our normal outro music, we're going to play you out with uh, Jonathan's new single. Here it is. It's called What You Doing? We'll see you guys again next week. Goodbye. I saw you there today. And you thought I looked away. Or maybe you just thought I went away. But I found out where we stand
just fall.